Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the book of joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome back to the latest edition of the Book of Joe podcast. It's me, Tom Verducci, with my buddy, Joe Madden. And Joe, believe it or not, this is week 13 of the season, of a 26-week season. So do the math. After the conclusion of this week, we will be halfway through the 2023 baseball season. Amazing. I was just looking at the date. I wrote it down on my notes. June 20th. Uh, that happened pretty quickly. It does. I mean, baseball from my um, personal evaluation was spring training was like, like you're starting the engine. Like Michael Chuck used to have to do with all those old cars. It took forever to start, but once it gets going, man, and it grabs its momentum, it just flies by all of a sudden that you just rip off each calendar month. So June 20th, I already didn't realize the uh, epicenter, but um, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of playing out kind of uh, in a very interesting way based on the changes to real changes. And I have been watching uh, more diligently. Yeah, and I'll tell you, every season, as you know, narratives start to develop that maybe you didn't see coming, some you expected. You mentioned the rule changes. That was certainly a big one coming into this season. Uh, And by the way, I have a bone to pick with you, not you personally, but about major league managers that we're going to get to later on. But for now, I think the biggest narrative of this season is Shohei Otani. And I know you're sitting there saying, oh, we know this guy's great. He's he's the unicorn of baseball, right? Folks, Shohei Otani is better than he's ever been. And now we're getting to see him do this for an Angels team that is in the mix, not just in the mix. They're actually holding a playoff spot right now. They're in the second wild card position. Yes, it's early, but for the Angels, <laughs> that's something new. Um I'm curious, Joe, you know Shohei well, obviously. He pitched and hit for you. Um, From your observations, what are you seeing from Shohei Otani in 23? Well, he just wants to be the best. He is the best, and he wants to uh, maintain that. I do believe this. Um, I don't know that I'm a big fan of the WBC, uh, but 
them winning and how he responded when they did win, the throwing the glove, the screaming, and all, everything that occurred then, I think is playing into now with him personally. I mean, he wants to win. That's I'm telling you, he is great uh, pitching, hitting, running, whatever. He's great, but he wants to win. And I think that that moment, glove tossed in the air, uh, then winning the WBC, I think that really personified exactly who he is. So now with the Angels uh, playing really well and in the mix, you're going to see the best version of him. The biggest thing now for me with them would be protect him. I know Trotty's behind him, and I know Michael's just off a little bit right now, but uh, if if he's not protected, this is one of those things where you stop. You know, it's like an Aaron Judge. you got to protect an Aaron Judge and see what happens when he's not in the lineup. But that's what's going I think that's what's going on. He's It's a free agent year. He is the best. He wants to remain the best. Um, he cannot be more focused. It's impossible. So I think there's all these like little subplots conspiring to make this the best year he's had to this point. And I'm only saying to this point because it's going to be another great year, and then he's going to want to top it again next year. Uh, bingo, by the way. I, mean, I think you're dead on, especially about the WBC. We're going to get to protection and Mike Trout in a minute there because that's also a part of this. But, you know, that WBC, I, I know from the American point of view, a lot of people are just plugged into their teams in spring training and, and kind of pay attention to it casually. But that is a huge deal in Japan. You were talking about TV ratings in Japan. Like more than half the sets were tuned into that team playing when those games were playing during the WBC. And Shohei not only was the de facto captain of that club, Think about what he did before the championship game. They're playing Team USA. A lot of pressure on them. You have to understand, a lot of pressure on that team to win. It's kind of like our basketball dream teams going to the Olympics. You're expected to win. That's the way they feel in Japan. It's a big, big deal. Before the championship game against Team USA, Otani gets the team together and calls a team meeting in the clubhouse. And he basically says, listen, we know those are superstars on the other team. We know the Mike Trouts of the world, the Trey Turners. We know those are big names. But you know what? We've admired them and we respect them. But tonight, we can't be cowed by them. We have to stand up to them and show them that we not only can play with them, but can be better than them. How about that? Shohei Otani. I mean, we don't talk about him a lot as a leader, Joe. But in this situation with so much on the line, the dude stepped up from a leadership standpoint and then he delivered on the field. I mean, you're talking about a guy in between at bats going down to the bullpen to warm up to close the game. Just a fantastic moment. And I agree with you. I think that set the stage for him for this season. Yeah, 100%. And uh, it also illustrates, I believe, and everybody wants the manager to get up to make this uh, this wonderful speech that implores them. It's not it's not the 1980 hockey team and it's not football team playing once a week. When a player of his stature gets up, I don't even know, maybe for the first time, and basically it's just kind of like one true sentence at a time. That's what he did. And with that passion and that belief, of course it's going to spill over into the rest of the group. And then on top of that, go out there and be Michael Jordan, make the last shot, or Larry Bird, or whomever. Uh, you could talk about our Tom Brady making the last pass. He's, he was that guy. He was all those guys on that one particular day. And this has been welling up in him. This has been, you know, from the beginning, starts good, a little bit of a setback, injuries, et cetera, and then comes back and, and finds his, his way in, in the Major League Baseball. So, again, knowing him, I believe he finally he felt uh, that it was okay that he would get up there in front of everybody, that he felt it was his obligation to do that and having played and been so successful in the major leagues I think there there was that uh, that 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 thought or that feeling within him okay uh yeah I'm, I am the right guy for this right now there's nobody else going to do it and I and I feel comfortable about this and I feel good about what I got to say and when you get to that point when you feel kind of like you're right um definitely the message comes through and I think all those things again conspired in that moment and when I heard that he had done that Again, it makes way more impact, I believe, than any manager standing up in that particular moment. Yeah, and I think we're seeing, too, Joe, how important winning is to him because it's actually bringing out the best in him, whether it was the WBC or now playing meaningful games every night with the Angels. Um, Joey Otani, listen, he leads the world in home runs, and he also, on the mound, 
allows the fewest hits per nine <laughs> innings. I mean, just think about that. I mean, yeah, that can happen in uh, in Williamsport in the Little League, but it just does not happen in Major League Baseball. So, Joe, we talk in our book a lot, and you do, about the, the five levels of being a professional. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was always in there in Shohei in terms of all I want to do is win. But now that he's actually playing these games that matter, it just seems obvious to me how much he is motivated by winning. Yeah, it's not just been talked to this point. I've always believed it. I, I have uh, getting to know him. When you have a conversation with him, and you know, Ipe's there also as translator, then now show's getting a little bit better with the language and, and is able to understand the nuance of what he's saying. Uh, it's always been there. Whenever he's talked about it, uh, you can see it in his face. This is not hyperbole. It's not like I'm trying to convince you. I'm trying not to be like, saying the right things here. This is what he, who he is and what he feels. I've thought that from the beginning when I got to know him. He was hurting. When he was hurting, um, it bothered him that he was unable to contribute. And that's a big reason why also that he wants to hit when he pitches. That when, when we were able to finally do that, because he knows he could impact the game with his bat also when he pitches and felt like, seriously, that he was letting the group down a little bit if he did not hit on the day that he pitched. You just we we could think about this, we could talk about it, but it's a mindset that's unique to him, and it doesn't permeate our our country regarding on a major league level because, like you said, we could do it in high school, maybe little league or college, but to do it professionally, it ain't going to happen anytime soon again. And if it does, not to this level, just a, a different breed of a baseball player, and philosophically how he was raised and who imparted these thoughts in him, his work ethic. Beautiful stuff. And, and Joe, you saw firsthand his work ethic. And anybody who goes to spring training to watch the Angels play and, and work out and go through their day, Otani's pretty much on his own program. And, and it is so detailed. I mean, he, everything is done with a purpose, everything for a reason. He may not be stretching with the team or doing uh, infield and outfield relays, but he is so purposeful with what he does. And there's a great story about Shohei going back to when he was in high school. Um, he actually, at one point, as a freshman, was pretty thin. And he joined something called the Weight Gain Club. <laughs> and after the end of the day, the principal would announce it's time for the Weight Gain Club to report to uh, this office. And they all got these protein shakes. And Otani was packing on extra calories with cake and late night snacks and all this stuff. And then his sophomore year, he had a hip injury. And uh, he, he couldn't pitch. He couldn't hit. He had to basically rest for a while. And that's where he got so-called religion when it comes to what he put in his body and his training and, and he cut out all the junk food. And, and just ever since then, you've seen this guy literally grow. I mean, if you get up to Shohei up close, you, you're astounded by how broad his shoulders are, how strong he is, how big he is. Um, Joe, what, what did you see in this commitment that not just to be a two-way player, but to be the best athlete that he can possibly be? Yeah, you you brought it up there. I was asked about, oh, well, Shohei's uh, stretching by himself. It seems like Shohei's on his own program. I said he should be. He is the punter. He's the kicker. He's the quarterback. He's the middle linebacker. He's everything. And to just set him out there with the rest of the group who has a, who all have a more defined uh, method of practice on a daily basis with different needs, how could you possibly uh, – Pitch it home into that and ask him, go ahead, show you, you go ahead and do that like everybody else. No, I knew from the beginning that he had to do something differently. I didn't realize about the diet, but the thing to really note on him that I have, he got hurt what, once with his arm. He had to get uh, Tommy John, whatever. But otherwise, this guy plays. This guy answers the bell every night. And with an everyday Major League Baseball player who's counted upon, that's one of the that's one of their greatest tools. These guys play every night through good and bad, and he plays hard this guy runs hard to first base all the time so yeah um the discipline with him reaches into every component of his life Uh, what he does after the game how he gets ready when he wakes up in the morning everything has a purpose and i think if you really trace back some great athletes like they're the super superstars the guys that are over the top that are there every year that are able to perform at that level, man, that mental level, uh, again, I, I bring it up in the, the Jordans and the Birds and in basketball, Brady, of course, and, uh, the, you know, the, the Yankee group and the, you know, the Jeter group back then. I mean, they're, they're, one of their greatest friends was that 
how they played and what they believed in and, and their dedication to their game and et cetera. So I, he's just a cut above and uh, it'll be hard for people to replicate him. Oh, absolutely. The idea that, you know, this will encourage more two-way players. Forget it, people. That's right. <laughs> this guy is just so, so special. And right now he turns 29 next month in July. He's playing the best baseball of his life. Why is that? Well, we'll answer that question right after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Joe, we're talking about Shohei Otani, who is this year so far a 300 hitter besides the uh, obvious power that he has, leading the, the league in RBIs, home runs, adjusted OPS, OPS, total bases, you name it. Uh, I'm curious your take because this is what I see. Um, Shohei Otani has the lowest strikeout rate of his career so far. And if you watch many of his home runs, where are they going out? They're going out to center field. They're going out to left center field. They're going out to left field. It looks to me like Otani is much more comfortable with letting the ball back up. And he's not out front getting fooled off balance on that front side. And by letting the ball get a little deeper, he has reduced his strikeout rate. And if this guy puts the ball in the air, folks, there's a good chance it's going out. He's on a streak right now where his last nine fly balls 
eight of them have been home runs. <laughs> I mean, the damage that he does, his ratio of damage to fly balls is ridiculous. If he touches it, it's pretty much going out the way he leverages a baseball. But I think, Joe, he's, he's much more, I don't know if comfortable is the word or balanced, but he's letting the ball back up and, and he's doing damage the other way and cut down on the swings and misses. Yeah, and, and why? Because he wants to. I am sure that's a mindful adjustment that he made in the offseason. Somebody brought something to his attention about where he's being pitched at and what the results are from the beginning. I try to get him to hit the rocks in Anaheim Stadium. That was my thing with him. Show, hey, we're going to celebrate after the game. You hit the rocks tonight. We're celebrating after the game. You're coming in my office. And that, that, was, that's, I mean, that was very obvious at the time. When he's there, listen, there's no part of a ballpark that can hold him. And quite frankly, think about how many times he just like pulls or hooks a home run. Normally, it's like right center on over. That's, that's where his swing plays. Uh, I think that's it's just mindful. I also believe that <clears throat> uh, with the way the defenses are set up now, he knew look, moving forward, I'm going to play with this whole field. I'm going to set the table up for my guys. What's the score right now? Is a home run needed? Do I need to get on base with the guys in front of me? He plays the game. He plays the game uh, striking out. I don't want to strike out anymore. I want to strike out less. Okay, what do I do about it? And he's doing something about it. It's just, uh, again, it, it's something that most of us can't do or ever do. You might have that thought. Somebody might give you that piece of information, but you still can't put it into play. He can't. I'm telling you, he can. It's uh, it's amazing to watch him prep every day, even watching him prepare for a game. Uh, honestly, he doesn't need a whole lot of uh, scouting information before. He'll take his little nuggets, and he's going to go out there, and he's going to paint as an artist as what he's seeing in the batter's box. Offensively, he'll look and see what the guy's been trying to do to him before, where his uh, mistakes have been made. And he's going to do something part of that game to fix it against that guy or that team that night or that series because he knows that's how they're pitching to him. <laughs> Again, easier said than done, absolutely. But this is what, this is who he is. He's just so mindful and able to see what's going on in front of him and then adjust physically. All right, Joe, let's talk about protection. Okay. Uh, you know all the time you spend putting lineups together, uh, sitting down at your Cafe Americano and what's the best yes. – uh, what's the best lineup you can put together, a batting order? Maybe it doesn't mean a whole lot, but you know subtle differences. The way you arrange groups of hitters can make a difference as the game plays out. In this case, uh, it was only about three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, Phil Nevin kind of flip-flopped Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. At the beginning of the season, it was mostly Trout to Otani three. Lately, he's, he's flip-flopped them. He's got Trout behind Otani. And here's what Otani has done here since that flip-flop. 426 batting average, 541 OPS, getting a base more than half the time. And a slugging percentage, this is not a misprint, 1,085. Oh, my goodness. So, Joe, I mean, you were not lucky enough to have those guys in the lineup all the time together, given their injuries. Um, but how about the order of those two. Does it matter? What did you notice Trout, Otani together? I think it does. I've had arguments with, uh, you know, uh, guys in the front office or analytical dudes for years because they just think it's it's not as important. I know one thing when the lineup card is sent over from one team to the other, the first thing you look at is how it's stacked up and what could I do in the latter part of the game? Who do we not have to pitch to in certain moments? Who's like blazing hot? Who are we going to stay away from? And even guys that are normally blazing hot that stink right now. You're going to go after these guys. So I totally believe in that. Uh, for years, I would go right, left, right, left, right, left with my lineup before the three uh, batter minimum came in for the relief pitchers. Once that occurred, I like to go right, right, left, right, right, left to try to protect my left hand, my better left-handed hitters. Furthermore, a guy like Shohei, if in fact it gets to the point where nobody wants to pitch to him, that's what I really like to lead him off because I want the whole lineup to protect him. And I've used that phrase in the past too. Um, at some point, uh, if they want to continue to tiptoe around this guy, uh, I'm going to do that. Then you say, well, there's going to be nobody on base in front of him. Well, he's not going to get to swing the bat anyway. He might as well put uh, some good dudes behind him. I'm a big believer in protection. I know it's a fact. I know it goes on the other dugout. And I'll tell you another thing, latter part of the game, it's not just about the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth inning. When it gets late, man, 
you want that guy to be able to hit. You want somebody, if something is happening, you want you want them to pitch at this fellow. And uh, if he's not protected, you're not going to get pitched to. You're just remember the year I, I walked with. How many times did we walk Bryce Harper in Chicago? My God, yeah, you, you sent him into a slump because you you didn't pitch to him in any situation. Bases empty or runners on. Well, that was you know that was line of construction. Honestly, I mean, at that time, if Rendon had been behind him or if Daniel Murphy had been behind him, we'd have pitched to him. But Zimmerman was bad, and, and Zimmerman's a great player, but he was cold. He could not have been more cold. So why would we mess with uh, Bryce right there when I know the other guy really is, is is not on top of his game? And furthermore, you apply a lot of pressure to some people that they're not normally accustomed to that pressure. Sometimes it depends on the, who that player may be. So, I, again, there's, I don't even know how many reasons I've given you right there. And I'm still going to get an argument from somebody that it's not true. It's, it is true. It is true. Everybody looks at that before the game. And that's the pitchers themselves. How do they feel about who's hitting? They're always looking in the on-deck circle. It always matters. Yeah, that's a great point. I've seen that a pitcher literally will look to see who's coming up just to remind themselves, okay, I have to be careful or I better go after this guy. Great point. Uh, so that brings us to Mike Trout because now he is the protection for Shohei Otani. And, and I've seen things this year that just boggle my mind with Mike Trout. Mike Trout actually sees the greatest percentage of fastballs this year than any hitter in baseball. Now, if you look at the top five who see the most fastballs, we're taking cutters out. This is four seamers and sinkers. They're leadoff hitter types without power. We're talking about people like Stephen Kwan, John Birdie, Brandon Nimmo. You know, these people, you're going to go after them if you're a pitcher. Mike Trout should not be seeing the highest percentage of fastball, but there's a reason, and that's because he hasn't hit them. <laughs> he really hasn't. He hasn't hit a home run on a pitcher over 94 all year. Uh, in the month of June, he was seeing 75% fastballs and hitting under 100 against them. Mind-boggling. Pitchers getting Mike Trout out one way. Now, last weekend in Kansas City, and you knew it was going to happen, it started to turn. He got, I think, five hits off fastballs. Everything from Zach Greinke at 89 to Aroldis Chapman at 101. I think, Joe, this guy's turning a corner right now. You know Mike is not going to stay down for long. And if you get to watch the Angels with Otani and Trout hot at the same time, oh, my goodness, that's a 4th of July fireworks show I want to see. Agree. So give me your take on uh, on Mike Trout, what he does behind Shohei. And um, I don't know if he ever told you this, but I've talked to Mike a lot. When things go a little bit wrong mechanically for him, he's, he's pretty simple when it comes to that. It's all about just getting his front foot down on time. Mm-hmm. Everything stems from getting that front foot down for Mike Trout. Agreed. And uh, you're right. He's going to make the adjustment. I've seen that. I've even seen that in the past. Even when I was with the Rays, that's the one thing we wanted to do was elevated fastball. And I used to bring Jake McGeehan uh, to pitch to him out of the bullpen just for that particular reason. Mike, he's a really, really good in, in the zone uh, breaking ball hitter. And I think, you know, with analytics, eventually somebody's going to figure that out. Of course, you still need to throw those. But you don't want to put him in a spot that this guy, you know, because the, the way his bat works within the strike zone, it's devastating. So everybody understands that. Everybody knows that right now. Front foot down. The thing that I saw with Michael right before I left and I talked about is just to, to remain more quiet. I thought, if you think about it, the more you move your bat before the pitch comes in, harder it is to time that front foot being down. I like him really quiet. I think when he gets really quiet, that foot gets down more readily on time. To the point where you don't even have to take a strike, just keep the foot on the ground. He's strong enough. So uh, he's going to make all these adjustments. He's going to have to get on uh, above the elevated fastball, or if it's a ball, he's got to just learn to take that. He normally has a pretty good eye. But like you're saying, I'm betting on him. Uh, love to see them both get hot at the same time. They, you know, the other guys they got in there now, Drury, I, I really like a lot. Renfro, I like a lot. Ursula, Ursula, really good baseball player. One of the better. Nobody talks about him enough. He's a really good baseball player. And I think Fletch is back up. Is that right? Is Fletch up because of Nito? Is that Did right? They just bring him back up. Yeah. I mean, they've had a bunch of injuries and, and, and Neto was doing a fantastic job and he's got that oblique injury. As you know, that can be yeah. a good four or five weeks. Forever. They may be without yep. him for a while, but yeah, this is uh it's a deeper lineup now, even with some of the injuries yep. and, uh, Listen, I, more protection around Shohei so that people have to pitch to him as a baseball fan. I want to see that. Um, I, you know, I, I hope people don't get accustomed to how great and unique Shohei is. And, right. and just to 
to help you appreciate him even more, I'm looking at his numbers through this point in his career as a hitter and a pitcher. It's a little more than 600 games as a hitter, uh, you know, over 70 to 80 games as a pitcher. And the players he is most analogous to in terms of his numbers as a hitter, Frank Robinson. (laughs) And as a pitcher, Jim Palmer. Shohei Otani is a mashup of two first ballot Hall of Famers, Frank Robinson and Jim Palmer. If you were just one of those disciplines and you were mentioned the same breath as Frank Robinson, you'd go, wow. Or a pitcher, you'd say, hey, that guy reminds me of Jim Palmer. You're like, wow, be careful. That's really high praise. He's a combination of Frank Robinson and Jim Palmer. Amazing. Yeah, listen. <laughs> Again, uh, I know we all get to watch him on TV. And you read all these things and you watch the last pitch of the WBC and then you'll see a bomb to right central at Anaheim Stadium, Angel Stadium. Uh, uh, it ain't going away. It's not just with good health. It's not going away. Like I said, he's going to have his best year ever this year. And then with good health, I anticipate the same thing happening next year. Where he's going to have a better year next year than this year. Uh, it's an incredible mind, uh, you know, uh, mentally strong uh, focus. He just and the other, thing, he's able to he's able to uh, just dump, throw away any kind of failure. It doesn't linger. It doesn't stick. He's kind of Teflon with that. And I think that's important also. Listen, he goes through some bad moments too. But uh, the way he goes about his business, you could see he just, he's not a carrier. There's a trash can. I'm throwing it in that trash can. And I move on to the next moment. Well, it looks like we could be in a real treat in the second half of the season watching Shohei Otani play in meaningful games. And once again, I, I think is bringing out the best in him. That will be fun to watch. Well, I promised you, Joe, I wanted to ask you about uh, this little pet peeve that I have. And we're going to do that right after the break. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, Joe, major league managers. I watched a lot of these guys go out to the mound to make a pitching change, and they look like they just finished working out. I mean, what has happened to baseball uniforms? I, I've got a, a suggestion here. If you're a manager and we can't, you're not wearing a uniform jersey, you know what? We're going to take your number away. You shouldn't have a number if you're going to go out there just in a T-shirt, like a working out T-shirt. Come on. <laughs> and, you know, the Yankees actually had petitioned Major League Baseball because the Yankees have retired so many numbers. They're like, you know, can we have not assigned numbers to our manager and coaches? Because we need those for the players. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that's the reason that we should do this. But come on. there's To me, there's something sacred about a uniform. And I don't say you have to be Connie Mack and wear a three-piece suit and a straw boater when you're running a game. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everybody you know, should have a, a full uniform walking out to the mound like you're being inspected. <laughs> but sometimes it's getting too sloppy here, Joe. I just think it's a bad look. When, when those gates are open and you're on the field, I, I think there's a level of professional I want to see. I know you're going to disagree with me because – it's not important. No, you're, you're speaking to me directly. <laughs> you're speaking to me directly right now. That's what you're doing. Um, yeah. Well, I was the hoodie guy. You were. I love the hoodie. I love the hoodie. You know, and um, I'm actually okay with the hoodie. I'm sounding like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm talking about guys out there just in the t-shirt. I mean, that to me is not a good look. I I can't disagree with that. I wouldn't do that. I didn't do that. Um, you know, the uniform top itself on a warm day. That's what I would. Uh, be, say devolve into but they give you so many alternatives that's part of the gig too you get in your locker there are so many alternative looks to choose from and the guy's going to pick the one that he thinks he looks the hottest in and he's going to go out there on a warmer day and and muscle it up you know so i i just like i mean i was always cold like even in tropicana field i was always cold so and i am i mean uh, chicago cold anaheim at night cold so i was a hoodie guy for those reasons but on a hot day, you might see me on occasion with that. Or even we got to the point where we cut the sleeves out. They were, the seamstress got them real nice, and I'd have a short sleeve hoodie. But that was my method. And I, I think if you're you, – you, you're, I, I agree. I don't like T-shirts. But uh, the alternative methods, they're, they're in your locker. They're encouraged. I mean, we're going to sell these things. All those things are part of the uh, marketing, I think, from MLB. So um, – I don't know. You're right. I'm the wrong guy to talk to about this because I'm I'm into individual individuality with almost everything. But for me, it was the hoodie normally or my jersey on a really, really hot day. How about numbers for a manager and coach? You okay with that? And and by the way, you have to tell a story about your number. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I like it. I mean, I think we all should have numbers. Absolutely. It's a pretty big part of being part of a team is having a number. Yeah, I mean, I, as a kid growing up, I was in football number 12 because of Joe Namath. Uh, baseball, it varied a little bit. But I didn't have that same strong affinity to one number like I did in football. But in, in baseball, I was number 20. I was number 20 all through the minor leagues with the Angels. I was number 20 as a minor league manager. Then I'm wearing it in uh, spring training, and all of a sudden we acquired Don Sutton. And Don comes into town, and the audacity of Don to get or ask or have my number over me and so I show up at spring training one day out at Gene Autry Park in Mesa. I walked to my locker and all of a sudden, there's number 70 in my locker. And I thought, all right, that's all right. Here we go. And I told Leonard Garcia at the time, he was the, uh, the clubby. I said, I will never, ever, never, ever change that number because nobody's ever going to want number 70. Although today it's become more in vogue. But that was my comment. I'll never, ever change my number uh, from 70 again. And uh, I haven't and I didn't. Yeah, but that's that was that's exactly how it worked. That's exactly how it came down on that particular day. And of course, Mr. Sutton, I mean, Don's no longer with us. What a good guy. He treated me so well. But that's why I went from 20 to 70. Joe, did you get anything from Don Sutton? Did you get a Rolex watch at dinner, a set of golf clubs, anything? I think it was a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's not nothing. Thanks, thanks, buddy. You know, thanks for doing that. Uh, no, I didn't. No, it's gotten become more uh, mainstream to get something for this. But at that time, I'm just a minor league. Shoot, that was like my third or fourth, fifth year, maybe, as a minor league coach manager. And so uh, we, you know, I'm just sitting. I'm just my corner locker, Gene Autry Park, that I had for years. There's number 70. Well, all these are great stories. But again, Joe, let's go back to where we started. Shohei Otani, to me, the biggest story of this season. And you always have great insights on Shohei. 
Um, I don't know if I've ever asked you though, Joe, um, the first time you met Shohei, did you have like a, some deep conversation with him? I mean, obviously you heard and, and knew a lot about him, but to, to, to meet Shohei and, and, and to be his manager, uh, tell me about first impressions. Yeah. Well, that was like, as he was, he had been injured, you know, when I first saw him and I'm seeing him coming off the injury and honestly, he just, he wasn't, what we're seeing right now was not what I saw. Um, he could not, he was starting to throw again and he's kept stuffing sliders, stuffing his fastball, he's spinning off everything with it as a hitter. It was the farthest thing. It's he talked about the 180 regarding um, ability. When I saw him, thinking, wow. I mean, he, he really was not very good when I first saw him based on probably time down. Uh, he, you know, he had already been rookie of the year, apparently too. And so I didn't see that. So conversationally, um, kind of quiet, you know, and, and again, not really um, uh, impressive with his English yet, although he is now. So it was kind of a different um, uh, awakening or method to see him for the first time because it wasn't what I had heard about. It's not what I expected. But, um, you know, you're patient, you wait, you wait, you go through that whole 2020 season, not very good. And then, man, Superman shows up in 2021. I guess that off season he went out and I guess went up to Seattle, worked out a lot up in Seattle. Uh, but his ability and his confidence came back simultaneously. So when I first met him, he wasn't a confident uh, young man. He was he was very straightforward, very respectful, listened well, all the stuff that he always does. But it would lack that certain mm, uh, confidence that you normally see with him. So it took a while to really see all of Shoei. So my my, introduc- my introduction to him was, wow, this guy is not really good right now. And then now is what we got to see. And obviously, you were really instrumental in uh, freeing him up and taking the governors off on him. People were trying to protect him from himself, basically, from two-way duty. And, and I think he recognized that um, he's at his best when he's doing both. And he will let you know uh, if he does need a day. And I asked Phil Nevitt about that, about you know the way he's managing Shohei this year. Nev told me he's not going to play as many games as he did last year. I think he was 157, 158. But I don't know, Joe. It's hard, as you know, to give this guy a day off. This seems to be working, you know, pitching him on the sixth or seventh day. And as you mentioned, he always wants to be in the lineup when he pitches. Um, It's tough to sit him down. Um, So maybe he can keep this up. We always ask that question. How how long can he keep doing it? But he's just an incredible athlete who takes care of himself so well. They keep winning. Yeah. (laughs) They keep winning. Really tough to give him a day off. (laughs) I show you how you're feeling to. (laughs) <laughs> How are you feeling today, big guy? You know, I know we talked about this stuff. What do you think about DH in today? That's the part of it that helps to obviously the DH component. Um, you know, he hits and he sits down, he hits and he sits down. Of course, um, that that matters. But with him, the original conversation was regarding giving him days off. The It was about him talking to me whenever he thought his legs were heavy or tired. That's when he thought he would need a day. So I'm I don't know this, but I'm betting his work on his legs are like is incredible based on he knows that that's what keeps him off the field. So they win. It's harder to keep him off the field. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing the way he is improved. And you mentioned this, you know, he wasn't throwing a two seamer really back then. He didn't have the sweeper he has now. Um, offensively, he had some holes. He, he was more of a strikeout guy back then. And he's cut that down. He's become a 300 hitter. Um, maybe that's the most remarkable thing about Shohei is that as good as he is, he keeps getting better. Hey, by the way, one quick thought here as we go out here, Joe, I, I know you've been watching a lot of games. Um, tell me what you're seeing in, in terms of how the games are being played from a, with a manager's critical eye. Cause there's, there's things we, we love to dive into analytically, but, uh, style of play fundamentals, what sticks out to you? Uh, what sticks out to me is more of a throwback game. Obviously, there is way more action on the bases. Teams are more apt to run. Uh, you know, the younger teams with some speed, like Cincinnati. I think part of their ascension is the fact that they're just young and aggressive and and athletic, and they're and they're utilizing it. It's a perfect example. I mean, the Rays have been that for years, uh, but I, I'm seeing a more assertive method on the bases. It's it's the antithesis of the, what the analytical world wanted for years. Station to station. Back, you talk about uh, Moneyball. Man, you cannot run because only two, two or uh, the three things that could happen would be bad, so you're not going to run. So that really stands out to me. On the other hand, like I'm watching some games, and defensively, maybe a little bit sloppy at times. Um, and when you when they do do a cutoff relay really, really well or, or uh, 
somebody puts that, well, again, bunt defense, although bunting has become more prominent. I've seen more of uh, the safety squeezes back in vogue a little bit right now, too. So I think in general terms, what the rule changes have brought about is a willingness to attempt to take advantage of them. And you take advantage of these rule changes primarily, I think, through athleticism and and speed and quickness and and aggressiveness and assertiveness and maybe a little bit more quote unquote unschool uh, old school baseball. So that I mean the Pirates are another great example. So that's what I'm watching. Those are the teams that really interest me to watch uh, and to see. Um, you know, big arms typically big arms, but then you look at a guy like Stroman with the Cubs. I love what he's doing. I love what that guy's doing. Um, he's a bright young man, handles himself well, but. He's got he's like uh, Kyle Hendricks with better stuff. That's that's pretty much what he is. He's he's got great movement, a great feel for what he's doing. He's not very big, very tall, but God, he's 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 so athletic and he pitches. He's a pitcher, man. And um, I'm hoping that's making an impact too going to the next draft. Part of it is short right hander could still be successful. Short right hander with less than 96, 97 can still be successful. He's showing that pitching can. Um, be uh, prominent in pitching, not throwing. So that's I'm seeing more baseball. I think is what I'm seeing right now, unless um, you know, like a, a computer version of it. Yeah, I love that point because you know we we have focused on time of game, right? And mm-hmm. it's great that the games are about 25, 28 minutes shorter than they were just last year. That's great. Yeah. But to me, what's even better is that style of play and athleticism range on defense, base running ability. Mm-hmm. I look at Arizona, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Tampa Bay. Those are low payroll teams, but they're playing a game that's taking advantage of the new rules. Mm-hmm. They're some of the youngest teams in baseball. They're some of the best base running teams in baseball, some of the most athletic teams in baseball. And to me, that's what's exciting. That's even more exciting than having the games 25 minutes shorter. That's great, again, but the style of play is, I think, locking fans in to staying with these games and watching it for more than just, you know, a batter or two. But that's, and with that uh, ascension in that style of play, being that it's a copycat industry, I want to believe, I hope to believe that instructional leagues might become more important again. Um, I mean, there's a limited number of teams uh, per organization of the, with the uh, con- contraction within the minor league baseball. So you need to get your guys out there, with some some more concerted, I believe, training specific training in the in the in the fall. I know it's hot, uh, but that never stopped anybody from learning. Well, it's a little bit hot outside, and actually, I always thought it was good for the for the soul and the spirit and the character. Uh, but if you really want to get all this stuff down, and you want to bring more athletic guys in, maybe not really good baseball players yet, but really athletic, like the old Kansas City Royals Academy, which I still thought was one of the most brilliant ideas ever just bring those guys into camp and then get your best instructors in there. And also not only get your best instructors in there, but create, formulate your method of play, your style of play. What do we think is going to win here? Not what we think Cincinnati does or what, you know, the, uh, the raised or whatever your method. I mean, that's another part that's frustrated me recently is the fact that everybody wants to copy everybody else. Nobody wants to go out there and be the first in line. And that's why you're talking about the raise. And I know, I know Brandon Hyde. I know what Hyder did there in Baltimore. I know that. I don't know um, as much with uh, Arizona or Cincinnati, but it, it is something that can be taught, nurtured, scouted, and then and then scouting and, of course, minor league player development to me is the two most important parts of the industry. And everybody's worried about acquiring free agents in the wintertime. That's where this gets done. That's why these teams have done so well. Yeah, it's been a great year when you think about teams like Houston, the Mets, the Yankees, even the Dodgers kind of struggling just to get in the playoff mix or at least stay around. And these upstart teams um, are proving themselves. And I think a lot of these teams have the staying power to be in it at the end. But above all, is, let's bring it back where we started. It's it's Shohei. I, I, I always love your takes on Shohei, Joe. I mean, you know him well. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and it's. I do think we're going to see even more good things from Shohei, even a better second half possibly, if that's possible, that he had in the first. Brother, they stay. They stay in the running. Heads up, you're going to see things you've never. I mean, we've never. We're going to be seeing things we've never seen before. But give this guy an opportunity to be like center stage, light shining on him. This really matters. That's what I want to see. Yeah, can't wait to see Shohei playing meaningful games down the stretch. And, and it's not over, brother. I'm telling you, he's. 
the Stay Healthy show and with good health, uh, he's going to keep doing this stuff. Speaking of down the stretch, that's where we are right now, Joe. So you got something to take us out here on this latest edition of the Book of Joe. Yeah, um, it's like typically Mr. Churchill. I mean, I leading a hook like we talked about this a country through significant part of our history, but he always said the right thing. Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. And courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. (laughs) That's right on the money, man. We always want to just keep on going, but sometimes just shut your mouth and keep your ears open. You're going to learn twice as much. I love that. And with Major League Baseball playing games in London this weekend, Cubs and the Cardinals. Oh, perfect. Perfect timing. Didn't even realize. Look at that. (laughs) My goodness. We'll see you next time. All right, brother. Take care. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.